It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hello, everyone. Brian Kilmeade coming to you from beautiful, I guess you could say this is beautiful New Jersey. I don't usually say that from Liberty Park, State Park in New Jersey, overlooking Manhattan, overlooking to my over my left shoulder is a Statue of Liberty, pretty tall, Ellis Island, pretty significant. And right to my back of my right shoulder, I can see the Freedom Tower and, of course, New York City, where people used to work and crime used to not run rampant. It looked great from out here, but it's also so significant because the Freedom Tower is there because the World Trade Center isn't. And there's a huge display here for those who lost their lives in 9-11, and it's appropriate because, sadly, this is probably the best place to envision that horror from that day. Uh, this is Election Day. It's finally here. Steve Cortez in 15 minutes. You could argue, and I won't. He is the, the Trump team's best surrogate and also most insightful. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, how does he feel about the poll that came out last night that said Texas is now a toss-up? He never believed that. Does he change his mind? And then one of the key states for Donald Trump's success and the success of Joe Biden will be North Carolina. And that's why Brent, uh, Brent Winterbull will be joining us, the host of his show. He's on News Talk uh, 1110 and 99.3 WBT in Charlotte. He's on the ground. He could tell us what we are most likely into. So let's get into the pretty much a layup version. You could figure it out. And by the way, I just talked to the, we just talked to the President of the United States. He was a little late, but it was worth it, 45 minutes. After he was elected president, he joined us first that day, and he hopes— this is a good omen that he came on today. So I'll bring you those exclusive highlights in just a moment. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I ended up with 306. That was a good number. 223 to 306. And that was a, that was a big number. And I think we will top it. I'll leave it at that. I think we'll top it. Pretty impressive. That was a president a half hour ago, 15 events, 72 hours. His candid thoughts on his last campaign. Number two. And folks, I have a feeling we're coming folks. together for a big If he's elected president, how sick This is not the crowd of somebody that's going to lose the state of Michigan. I think tomorrow's going to be one of the greatest wins in the history of politics. It's here, the official end, uh, final arguments, I should say, and a look at both dramatically different game plans and closing messages. One kind of fun, one kind of angry. Number one. So I'm looking at Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, and Ohio, all of which will report relatively early in the evening. And then later in the night, I'll be looking at Iowa and Arizona. Uh, that is one of the best in the business. Call Rowe. It's here. And by the way, he'll be joining us uh, in one hour of this uh, Tuesday broadcast. It's here. The official end of voting, but not counting for election 2020. What to look for tonight. And when we try to hammer out a winner between Biden and Trump, how we each may how each can carve out a path to 270. So it's uh, there's very few absolutes today. The one thing I will say is. The first indication we're likely to get, even though it's, as, as usual, going to be close is Florida because they're going to close at about 7 o'clock. They got about 7 to 8 million early ballots. The lines are huge. I get it. But they're also getting better and better at counting. And 
This is what I mean for the president. If the president goes ahead and gets Florida again, Barack Obama looked like it was making it the Democrats' own. The president changed all that, and then he's closing dramatically, picking up big Hispanic votes. The question is, will he be bleeding seniors? We'll see about that. I'm getting a lot of text messages from the villages. I've been there so often with my books. And so many people have transplanted from Long Island to uh, this senior community, which is very much alive. They say, listen, don't buy into the uh, Biden and senior loss. Uh, Everyone's rallying for the president. But if he goes and gets that, that shows game on. That means it's going to be a late day, an extra day or two. Because they say if you're in the Southern Belt and you're worried about Georgia, look at Florida. If Florida goes the president's way, let alone significantly, you can forget about Georgia. Then you think about North Carolina. One could lead to the other. That would be key. So I'm just trying to give you indications where the experts are saying about what to look for. Sadly, with Pennsylvania, they're allowing so much extra time to count ballots when they should just hire extra people. Ask for a federal grant, whatever it needs. If, you, if your ballot cannot get there on, the, on November 3rd, you should not be voting. You had so much time. It's the most talked about event in the world. What is the problem? And that's really what the president's been saying as he went after event after event. The other universal thing I can tell you right now, even if you're a Biden supporter or, or inexplicably still on the fence, nothing wrong with that, but it's surprising. You have to respect the effort. My goodness, look what the president has done. Look at how he's outworked everyone. Look at how he went right from the debate out, out to campaign. Look at the five events he did yesterday. Look at the five events he did the night before, closing in Miami at 1240 in the morning, led by Marco Rubio, and then up the next day to get back out into Pennsylvania again. And why is it that Joe Biden today on Election Day is in Scranton, Pennsylvania, then he's in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Senator Harris is in Detroit, and then, of course, Joe Biden goes back for a unscheduled right now, 2BA, 2B, TBA speech tonight. He thinks he's going to declare victory. He thinks he won already. But 98 million people have already went to the polls. Texas already surpassed all of 2016 voting. So this is stunning. So here's the president on the stump last night, in case you missed it. And as he predicts victory, cut one. This is not the crowd of somebody that's going to lose the state of Michigan. This is not the crowd of a second-place finisher. We're going to have a red wave. They call it the Great Red Wave, like nobody's ever seen before, like nobody's ever seen. I think we're going to win everything. I think tomorrow's going to be one of the greatest wins in the history of politics. And he does feel that way. And you have 25,000 people there freezing. And you wonder, why are they doing it for a president that they tried to impeach? Almost did. And a president that was investigated for two and a half years. They immediately tried to delegitimize his win. Jill Stein demanded a recount. The, the uh, President Obama looked at the Russians. And then there would be this Russian probe and an investigation into a campaign that haven't even gotten its roots in the ground yet into the White House. No, Joe Biden's closing message, cut six. And folks, I have a feeling we're coming together for a big win tomorrow. I chose Western Pennsylvania for my first stop as a candidate, and now for my last stop before Election Day, because you represent the backbone of this country, hardworking families. Tomorrow's the beginning of a new day. Tomorrow, we can put an end to a presidency that has left Hard-working Americans out in the cold. 
Okay. Why did, has no one told him to stop yelling at people? Put a smile on your face. Make it fun. My goodness, the president, the only guy who's a worse dancer than me, is dancing onto the stage at 74 years old, three weeks after getting COVID-19. Here is Joe Biden being Joe Biden, which is why it's clear why his people did not want him doing multiple events. Cut eight. Donald care. Donald Trump doesn't understand health care. He thinks it's a privilege. I think health care is a right. Right. And the other thing is important. There is no Donald care, which is an interesting phrase the president might want to embrace. But I don't think he should be leading the president on his labeling of big programs that don't exist yet, sadly, for the president's point. But there is no Donald care. He goes on. Cut nine. And we are virtually energy independent. We have more great research universities in America than all the rest of the world combined, out of which all these new inventions have occurred. No other nation can match us. We lead by the example of our power, not just by the power, but by the power of our example. Exactly. I want to sketch that out, uh, and I want to try to follow that. Desperately, unless, of course, I shouldn't follow that because he doesn't even know what he means. Cut 10. I read from serious press people, they're decent, honorable people, that if I get elected, I'll be the first president who didn't have an Ivy League degree in a long time. Well, let me tell you something. Somehow, that's kind of mean I didn't belong because I went to a state university. But let me tell you what. It's about time a guy from a state university graduated into the White House, because if I'm there, you're going to be there, too. Okay, state university. I didn't know that was the line in the sand. Cut 10. Cut, uh, cut 11. I never believed there would be this much in jeopardy. We launched our campaign over on the Oval back in 29, May 2019. But, you know, what I said then, we've been through a lot since then. Yep, we have been. Uh, and this guy is not going to win it. This is going to be the Democratic Party putting him out front, and they're going to run right over him. It's a clear, I'm going to play in a little while, the Bernie Sanders Zoom call where he t- tells AOC plus three, we're going to make him the most progressive president ever. He already hired the most progressive running mate ever who wants to ban fracking, sued the Biden-Obama administration because of fracking in California. And yet we're supposed to think that this guy is not going to get rid of oil, gas, and fracking. Hello, Michigan. Hello, Pennsylvania. Hello, Ohio. North Dakota and Oklahoma. You should not be happy about that. And don't believe what Joe Biden's saying. Look at what he said. When we come back, we're going to be joined by uh, one of the president's MVPs, Steve Cortez. He once uh, was on CNN, and he survived that that problem in his life. Probably got paid well but is now back a senior advisor for strategy. And we'll see if this strategy will land the president four more years in the White House. Then Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. And then I want your calls, one 408 7669 Again, we just spoke to the president exclusively on Fox and Friends. I'm bringing that with me and bring you some of the highlights, how the president feels this morning. Don't move. Election Day 2020 on location from Liberty State Park in the shadow of the Statue of Liberty. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest 
Home Services Marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Just because Donald Trump says something on election night or suggests he might be winning, uh, that is not going to be based in fact. There is no way he will be outright winning on election night. And so I think it's on all of our behalf to really um, be clear and make sure that the American people do get a filter for that information because it won't be accurate. Under no scenario will Donald Trump uh, be declared a victory, a victor on election night. And we think that that's really fundamental to how we want to approach tomorrow. And that would be the case if your opponent is Joe Biden and you're the campaign manager. That is Jennifer O'Malley Dillon. Isn't that nice? Under no scenario, Steve Cortez, who plays such a vital role for the president of the United States as Trump 2020 campaign senior advisor for strategy. Under no scenario can you declare you won tonight. Did you know that? Isn't that shameful? And by the way, there's no statement, no equivalent statement like that coming out of our camp, right? I would never say there's no scenario. I mean, of course there's a plausible scenario, right, where either team can't win. Now, clearly, I think it's going to be our team, um, but that's a shameful statement. It really is, you know, for her to say something like that. By the way, I want to apologize if it's noisy. Uh, I'm at Trump campaign headquarters in Arlington, Virginia. The president's no about to arrive here for a visit. And so the Secret Service is sweeping our offices, and they, they crowded all of us into the lobby while, while they take their dogs through and do their work. So, But I'm happy to join. I, I feel like, yeah, 
I feel like what kind of honored we were. We were able to start our day with the president of the United States, and he started his day with us again. So he joined yeah. us this morning on the phone, and he sounded tired, but man, on his game, optimistic. Uh, he said he thinks he'll do better, but he's not guaranteeing anything. Stevie, you right. easily could softball this question. You could easily punt on this question. <laughs> You're a skilled broadcaster. But what does your gut tell you right now, and what state concerns you the most? Uh, uh, here we are on Election Day. Yeah, no, and I mean, listen, I'm actually happy to answer this. You know, my projection, and I've said this a couple times on, on Fox News on TV, I, I think there's going to be a Sun Belt sweep. And what I mean by that is we are going to, largely because of Hispanics and our, and our really strong success with Hispanic voters, we're going to repeat in holding Florida and Arizona. I believe we're going to also pick up Nevada, and I think we're going to be competitive in New Mexico. I don't know that we can get it, but I think we'll at least come close. So if we secure that Sun Belt sweep and then up through Georgia and North Carolina, also places with a lot more Hispanics than people believe, um, and that's not the only reason I think we're going to win those states, but it's an important input. Uh, if I'm correct about that, uh, and I really strongly think I am, and the campaign here thinks so, uh, that is going to put all the pressure on Joe Biden because he then has to sweep the four upper Midwestern states, you know, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. Uh, it's going to be very, very hard for him to go four for four there. But the state that concerns me the most, it's not for a reason of, of messaging or, or the uh, policies and the record of President Trump. The state that concerns me the most is Pennsylvania because I think it's the most ripe for chicanery. Uh, I think, unfortunately, you know, you've got the secretary, or excuse me, the attorney general of the Commonwealth of, of Pennsylvania, top law enforcement officer in the state, who is just acting like the most partisan hack he could possibly be. I mean, he's literally tweeting that the election result is known already. I and mean, this is a guy who, at least titularly, is the head of the election process in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, and he's constantly on MSNBC. I mean, he, he just he couldn't possibly be more partisan. So what worries me and what worries our campaign, I mean, we're ready for it. Believe me, we've got a lot of boots on the ground. We have a lot of lawyers at the ready. I hope it's not needed for us to spring into action to defend our win if we win Pennsylvania, but I fear it might be. Very interesting because I did see that uh, the guy in charge of the election says it's going to be uh, Joe Biden's. So Nate Silver said on Sunday, without Pennsylvania, Joe Biden is the underdog. Clearly, he believed that. That's where he is today. Steve, your reaction right. to the to the guy who didn't want a campaign going to Pennsylvania, two separate events today. Right. Oh, no, listen, I think he knows he's in trouble there. We, you know, I think they know what we know, which is that we're winning there. And we're not winning big. I'm not trying to be cocky or you know, too optimistic about it, but I do believe we are winning narrowly right now in Pennsylvania. We're going to take it today. That's why he is physically there. And I'll, I'll give you two reasons why I think we're going to win Pennsylvania. It's fracking and faith. Two, two F-words, but nice F-words. Um, fracking is, uh, has become such a critical issue ever since on that national debate stage. Uh, Joe Biden finally got honest with the American people and said, we're going to transition away from oil. We're going to transition away from energy. Kamala Harris, by the way, is, is far more explicit on this topic. She says absolute ban on fracking everywhere, not just federal lands, not new fracking, no fracking, period. That'd be catastrophic for our whole country, but particularly for Pennsylvania, where it's such a key industry. And then the other issue is faith. And we're finding this really resonates with our voters and, and people who were persuadable in Pennsylvania. Uh, very Catholic state. Joe Biden has threatened to target the Little Sisters of the Poor once again. I mean, he publicly went on the record. They finally uh, got the religious liberty secured by the Trump administration. They prevailed in the high court. And that day, the day that the ruling was issued in, I believe it was June, uh, Joe Biden immediately went on the record. And he said, if I'm elected, we are going to once again uh, target and attack the Little Sisters of the Poor. That does not play in a lot of parts of Catholic Pennsylvania. So for fracking and faith reasons, I believe we're going to prevail. Right. 
Steve, the other thing is Erie County. Uh, so many experts, Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman says Erie is the most important county. I think that's the premier bellwether because it's so divided. Uh, it's so indicative of the preference of Pennsylvania voters. And I don't think that's a partisan statement. Do you agree that Erie County will tell you a lot? You know, yes, I do. I think out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Erie and Luzerne are probably, and look, I'm not a Pennsylvania expert, so I don't want to pretend to be, but it, uh, the people who are true experts you know, are, are giving me good information. Right. It seems to me that it'll be Erie and Luzerne. Those are the two counties to watch if this race comes down to Pennsylvania, which it may. Steve, uh, well, as I know the president's getting there now, and you uh, you want to get the sweep done with. But in my last forty five seconds, what did you learn from your time at CNN that you didn't know going in? <laughs> you know what I what I honestly learned is that they have convinced themselves they really have at CNN. They've convinced themselves that the president is evil and that his supporters are racist. And because they've convinced themselves of that, they they can then they, in their own consciences, in their own minds, they can go almost anywhere to fight him because they actually think they're doing something noble. So it sort of gives them permission to lie, uh, to distort. It's really fascinating. Um, but they don't believe that they're doing something wrong because they believe that they're fighting this, you know, truly pernicious evil. Uh, that's unfortunately what I learned. It's it's sick. It's twisted. It's not connected to reality. But I think that is the, the situation, unfortunately, at CNN. Tell the president we said hi, Steve. He's got to be proud that you're on his team. Thanks so much. Well, you're kind. Thank you. Steve Cortez, when we come back, what's happening in Texas? The guy in charge of the Texas GOP, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. What are the four fastest metropolitan, uh, growing metropolitan areas in the country? Dallas, Fort Worth, Metroplex, Houston, Maricopa County, Phoenix, and the Atlanta metro area. The four fastest growing. These are four places where Democrats have all made extraordinary strides politically in the Trump era. And those are the places when the Democrats talk about potentially flipping those states tonight. Those are the places they're talking about. Uh, that is Steve Kornacki and MSNBC talking about the metropolitan areas now sprawling. Could uh, Houston and Dallas in particular could cause a, uh, cause a problem for Republicans in those states. Let's bring in L- Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, now running the Texas GOP, in charge of keeping that red. Uh, Colonel, what could you tell us th- uh, is happening on the ground? Well, it's good to be with you, Brian. And when you look at what is happening on the ground going into Election Day, uh, we have a six percentage point advantage over the Democrats uh, with the 9.7 million votes that were cast. We uh, saw an incredible turnout from Republicans. There is no way that Texas is going to be flipped. And as a matter of fact, I think that you'll see certain areas uh, trend towards the Republicans, especially what I saw down the Rio Grande Valley. So this is a pipe dream. 
Democrats have pretty much so pulled out of Texas. Joe Biden's, uh, you know, commercial ads really dwindled down to almost nothing. And so they don't have a presence here like they thought. And I think that Mr. Robert Francis O'Rourke and all of these other predictions were just absolutely wrong. What can you tell us about the early vote? Texas has already surpassed its 2016 voter turnout by 8.3 percent. Mm-hmm. Well, the early vote. Well, what does that really tell you? Talk- well, what the numbers tell us is that we outperformed the Democrats. The raw numbers, we outperformed the Democrats in the early voting. And the unaffiliated voters, I mean, they were very strong numbers. And, of course, we don't know uh, which way they will break. But I will tell you, the chances are they're breaking more so toward Republicans. So we feel very confident with Election Day because Republicans always far uh, outperform Democrats on Election Day. And the numbers here in Texas, anywhere from about uh, 12 to 13 percent. We uh, outperformed Democrats historically on Election Day. In court, you look to the Republicans look to maybe you in particular throw out over 100,000 ballots because they drive through ballots. And now you the judge ruled against the Republicans, but they basically eliminated the drive through ballot. Can you bring us the play by play on this? Yeah, absolutely. What happened is that you have the treasurer of the Texas Democrat Party is also the county clerk in Harris County. That's Houston. And what he did was to violate Texas election law by expanding the curbside voting to uh, about nine other locations. And these were ad hoc locations, most of them in Democrat precincts. And so you had a uh, grassroots activist and a congressional candidate down in Harris County bring a lawsuit yesterday. The judge ruled against it. But this is what just happened this morning. That county clerk, understanding that that uh, case is going to be elevated to a circuit court, and he has uh, adjudicated and decided that he would shut down those other uh, nine locations that he had just opened up uh, illegally in violation of Texas election law because he knows what's going to happen. And furthermore, he is going to sequester the voting machines that were there because he was not allowing poll watchers to review uh, votes uh, being cast there. And so they're going to be sequestered. We're going to have transparency. And so I think that in the end, he realized that Chris Hollins realized that he was wrong, and he is trying to make amends right now uh, so that we can get a good proper count. What do you think is the problem with that? Do you, do you suspect dishonesty or you just see too much opportunity for dishonesty? What bothers you about that? No, it, well, first and foremost, it's illegal what he did. It's a violation of Texas election law. Texas election law is very, uh, very specific as far as this thing called curbside voting and what can happen. There was one location that was established, but Chris Hollins, the uh, county clerk there, established nine more of the early voting locations, and that was a violation of Texas election law. And so I think uh, that even though that judge yesterday said that uh, there was no standing, I think that Mr. Hollins realizes that as this goes up to a circuit court, that he's going to get a ruling against him. He's the one that put these 127,000 votes in jeopardy, not anyone else, because he took an illegal action in violation of Texas election law to expand curbside Mm -hmm. voting. All right. So tell me about Senator Cornyn. Uh, within single digits is even a story, but they within five uh, did uh, five uh, points. Some uh, polls have him on holding on to that Senate seat for six more years. 
I think that the polls are going to be proven quite wrong. I think that Senator Corn is going to perform very well. And I believe, you know, without a doubt, President Trump is going to perform very well. We're going to do great going down ballot. We're going to retain our state house. Uh, there's been tens of millions of dollars. Michael Bloomberg, Eric Holder, Barack Obama has put in millions of dollars to try to flip the Texas state house because they wanted to control the redistricting that is coming up. They're not going to be successful with that either. So I want you to hear what Victor Davis Hanson said. I know you respect him out of Hoover. He says he's looking at this big push, pandemic-related, they say, to do the mail-in ballots and, and vote early. Cut 41 is what he thinks they're up to. I don't understand the strategy of the Democrats to think that they're going to rely on all, basically all their chips are going to be on mail-in uh, voting for people, many of whom have never yeah. done it before, and yet they've scared people with the COVID uh, threat for so much. I don't think a lot of people want to go out and vote in the polls. And that'll hurt them on Election Day. So saying vote early, if you don't, people are going to think they're going to die at the polls. Where Republicans urging by the president would vote on Election Day. So we think, you know, the experts think that the, the obviously surge on Election Day is about Republicans. So Republicans listening right now who think their vote doesn't count, what are you telling them, Colonel? Well, that's the message that we've had here in Texas. All, all of our votes are going to count, and we have been really pushing hard for our get-out-the-vote program. And I think that's why you saw our success in the early voting. You know, the ratio of early voting to the, um, the, the mail-in ballots here in Texas, you had about 8.9 million of the uh, uh, early voting in person. You had about 900,000 of the mail-in. So you had an incredible, uh, overwhelming support of the early voting in person as opposed to the absentee ballots. And I think that that is how it's going to trend going forward. And the other thing that the Democrats did not do that we did here as Republicans, we maintained the CDC guidelines, wore masks, and uh, kept the six uh, feet separation. And we still did the block walking. Uh, the Democrats did not do any type of block walk and had no ground game whatsoever. So I think that's another thing that will hurt them in the long run. Well, very interesting. So, uh, Colonel, your prediction, do you predict a president victory? I know you want yes, it, I, but what do you see your prediction? No. No, I, I, without a doubt, I believe the president's going to be successful and victorious. I've been talking to the state chairwoman from uh, Minnesota, and uh, she has told me that uh, they believe that they're going to flip Minnesota. So I think there's going to be a lot of surprises for people. The pollsters are going to be proven mm -hmm. wrong. And I think the president will win above the margin of cheating, as we say. That's uh, like 4%. And he should hit 270 electoral college votes uh, this evening. Well, then, if that does happen, the logic tells you that there's going to be riots. And one of the places that have been told to look out is Fort Worth, Texas, and other major cities in New York, in Chicago, in Seattle, in Portland, in Baltimore. There's been reports out that these, these protests that are going to morph into riots are ready to go. Does that concern you? Oh, well, of course it concerns me. You know, I'm here in Austin, Texas, with the, where, where our Republican Party headquarters is, and you have this organization, Red Guards Austin, a communist organization. They are spray painting all over Austin, don't vote, don't vote, participate in the revolution. They're spray painting hammers and sickles all over the place. But Governor Abbott has mobilized the National Guard to go into our five major urban population centers. So we're taking the right precautions. But again, this is the progressive socialist left, and this is why the Democrat Party is going to lose because they never uh, condemned this violence, this chaos that we see on the streets. Right. And, Colonel, you've been watching the president's rallies? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and getting a lot of videos with friends all across right. the country sending them to me. <laughs> so be honest. Uh, I know you don't like to criticize the president, but his decision to dance, is that something you can back? Well, I will tell you, I am not a good dancer myself, so I would recommend that the president stay away from dancing. Uh, you won't see me doing it in public either. <laughs> Absolutely. And he loves it, man. He, he just loves it. He put together his own montage, and they sent it out at 74 years old, dancing to, uh, uh, dancing to young men at YMCA. Yeah. Um, uh, the Village People. I never thought he was buying their albums, but I guess he is. Hey, uh, Colonel, thanks so much. Best of luck. I know you got your hands full. The biggest state. Uh, the biggest state in the union, which is its own country. Go get them, Colonel. You got it. Take care, and we look forward to chatting later. Absolutely. We'll do the aftermath. Chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, senior fellow at the Media Research Center. We come back, your turn. Don't tell me you have nothing to say. one 408 The most impact- impactful election of our lifetime. Line up. Oh, it's on. Election Day 2020 from Liberty State Park. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. And it's disheartening. It's called suppression. What it does is it suppresses people. They say, well, listen, we love the president, but if he can't win. And I realized, I said, this is a phony business. But now they come down and it says 17 down in Wisconsin. I'm not 17 down. I might be one down or I might be two up, but I'm not 17 down. Why don't they make it three or four or two or five or something, right? But 17 makes people want to stay home. So the president went back there, had an event, and the president was making those remarks in Fayetteville, North Carolina, so vital to his success if he is going to have success tonight. No one has to tell that to Brent Winterbull, host of the Brent Winterbull Show on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina. Brett, welcome. Hey, thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me on the show, and greetings from the Queen City. Absolutely. So you guys got a lot of attention this time. You guys are the new Ohio, perhaps. How is how is North Carolina handled all this attention? Oh, listen, from from the jump when they canceled the uh, the, the RNC, you know, we thought it was going to be a much bigger event. Obviously, it gets shut down. We have one day, but certainly uh, rallied and, and you had a big turnout there for the president. Uh, you've had a ton of rallies throughout this state over the last uh, over the last few weeks, especially. It's been very concentrated. The ads are running fast and furiously. You've got a battle between the president and Vice President Biden. You've also got a battle between, obviously, uh, Tom Tillis and, and Cal Cunningham. And because of where we're situated geographically, we're also bleeding over into South Carolina with the Lindsey Graham-Jamie Harrison fight. So this is really the nexus of things. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling a lot of energy with the Trump voters uh, here in North Carolina and obviously over in South Carolina as well. And I do think uh, with Cal Cunningham's scandal uh, of, of the sexting uh, with, with an underling and an uh, extramarital relationship. He basically went underground for the last uh, uh, for, for the last couple of weeks. You haven't really seen much of him. He hasn't been out there. Roy Cooper bragging that they could drag him across the finish line. I think with Trump supporters coming out, they're going to go down ballot. And, and I think Tillis retains the seat. I think Graham retains his seat. I think the president wins in North Carolina. 
Wow, that's very interesting because I know they're getting a lot of attention and people don't know what to make of the early voting. What is the early voting like there? Well, the early voting in many other places, very similar here in North Carolina, you had uh, a lot of energy come out early on. Uh, You have started to see things uh, tighten up as you've gotten closer. And just like uh, so many other places, you do have uh, a day of voters uh, trending conservative, trending uh, Republican. The only sticky wicket here, Brian, is the fact that they get to bring ballots in for another six days after today. The Supreme Court made that ruling that you can have your stuff submitted as long as it's received by by November the 9th. Absolutely bonkers as far as I'm concerned. But it's got to be posted November 3rd. I mean, what kind of, I mean, where could the ballot possibly be that's going to take six days to get there? You, you and I could walk from Asheville to Raleigh, yeah. okay, in six days. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's absolutely loony. And the other thing that people don't talk about is if you've got a pre-postage uh, marked ballot, those don't necessarily get postmarked, right? Because it's, postage has already been paid. You've got to actually bring it in and say, can you postmark this for me? Can you stamp this for me, please, with the date so we know? This is going to be a, a mess. I do think, though— the, the, the Trump uh, supporters, President Trump supporters, are, are going to show up in strong enough uh, uh, numbers that I think it'll, it'll cancel that out. But would you have said the same thing in August or September? Or is it the late surge that we're seeing that he pretty much blue-collared it uh, for the last three weeks? Oh, it's, this has been unbelievable. Uh, in many ways, I wouldn't say it's a political Lazarus story because that's that's so you know serious. But the idea from where the president was going into COVID and then having COVID and then coming out, it's like he's been shot out of a cannon. I, I listened to you and, and, and your team on Fox and Friends this morning with the president and with Rush Limbaugh. Uh, people are energized. This president, is, is he's loaded for bear, and I, I think he'd get back on the campaign trail tonight and do another three days. I think he would. Uh, he was a little late with us this morning, but he's already in Arlington, Virginia, <laughs> and he's going to have a light day for him. I'm shocked that Joe Biden, who has done so little for so long, is now doing two events in Pennsylvania. This is a guy that's not trailing in any poll since he decided since they decided to give him the nomination without even earning it. So what do people of North Carolina care about most? What's their number one thing? Is it COVID? Is it the economy? Is it? Uh, tell me what matters. It's it's the blend of that, right? Because it's people who are frustrated and sickened by the shutdowns. Uh, Roy Cooper and, and Mandy Cohen have, have kept the economy shut down here. Bars and restaurants going out of business at an alarming clip in, in Charlotte and beyond. So people want to get back to work. They want their kids to go back to school. Um, the economy is obviously hugely important, but so is the, the dealing with the COVID uh, virus. And, and people have to understand that, you know, we're moving into a, a new phase of whatever this is. But it, it's really the, the usual issues that would be popular in Long Island or Philadelphia or, or in Sacramento. It's jobs, the economy, opportunity and getting back mm-hmm. to business. Yeah, Brett, last thing uh, is we have a lot of people who leave New York. And they go to Florida. They also go to North Carolina. Are you seeing that in New York taking some of their liberal views uh, uh, to North Carolina and changing how you vote? Um, 
there that's going to have an impact for sure uh but they tend i think to go to the bluer areas right where you already have uh sort of a, a liberal perspective i came out of california brian i came out of san diego to come to, to to charlotte to work at wbt i was behind that blue curtain i know you're behind the blue curtain out on the island and the fact of the matter is the people that tend to be coming in here into south carolina and, and metro charlotte tend to be people who are more conservative fleeing the dumpster fire that is cuomo land and newsom land and wanting to come here and live freely and enjoy the blessings of life. Ga- gasoline's a dollar eighty-six here. I was paying four fifty-nine when I left. Wow. This is a great place to be, and most people coming here, I don't think they want to spoil it. I would hope so, and that's what Texas thought. But man, it looks like it's getting spoiled. <laughs> uh, Brett Winterbull, uh, congratulations on all your success uh, with the show over at uh, News Talk eleven ten and ninety nine three at WBT Charlotte, and I hope to be joining you tonight. And we'll, maybe we'll have some results to talk about. We are going to talk about it tonight, Brian Kilmeade. I'm a huge fan. Anytime, I'd, I'd love to catch up with you again. Thanks so much for having me. You got it. All eyes on North Carolina. When we come back, uh, we'll continue on with our great show on this election day. It is finally here upon us. For 72 hours, the President of the United States actually went out and did 14, 15 events. He finished up early in the morning. He joined us on Fox & Friends. We'll be bringing some of that exclusive interview uh, your direction. Uh, so that'll be coming your way. Also, special thanks this hour to, to Brett for joining us, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West for being there, Steve Cortez for also uh, being a part of this, uh, being a part of this hour. Look, we're going to first get an indication of how the president's doing in Florida, but then it's going to come fast and furious. And a lot of the questions coming, a lot of the uh, results coming to us will show that we don't have a verdict yet. So be patient, but be a part of it and know if it's happening in news, it's going to be happening here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for listening. It's election day. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New Jersey, Jersey City at Liberty State Park, just across from New York City, but heard around the country, listened to around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show on this historic 2020 election day. Carl Rove is standing by. I know he's out of the shower because we already bothered him on Fox and Friends a short while ago. Senator Rick Scott at the bottom of the hour. What does it take to win a close election in Florida? He certainly knows his governor twice. And now he's got that six-year Senate seat, one in 2018. And then we'll do a simulcast. We're actually doing a simulcast from this location. All right, with Stuart Varney, uh, the number one show on business television on NFBN. You'll get to see what I look like without a jacket on, which is a thrill. And I'm just speaking, of course, for Allison, uh, who has said that <laughs> in the past. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I ended up with 306. That was good numbers. 223 to 306. And that was a that was a big number. And I think that we will top it. I'll leave it at that. I think we'll top it. Wow, the President of the United States 90 minutes ago on Fox and Friends. After 15 events in 72 hours, he called into our show his candid thoughts on his last campaign next. Number two. And folks, I have a feeling we're coming together for a big win tomorrow. This is not the crowd of somebody that's going to lose the state of Michigan. 
I think tomorrow is going to be one of the greatest wins in the history of politics. Yes, since Dewey defeats Truman, when we know in reality the incumbent president did defeat Dewey. Final arguments and a look at both dramatically different game plans and closing messages. Number one. So I'm looking at Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, and Ohio, all of which will report relatively early in the evening. And then later in the night, I'll be looking at Iowa and Arizona. It's like we booked our guest already, Carl Rove on Fox and Friends. It's here, the official end of voting, but not counting for election 2020. What to look for tonight and when we can try to hammer out a winner between Biden and Trump and how each may carve out their own path to 270. So let's bring in Carl Rove again. Hey, Carl. Would you answer one question for me? What is yes, a receptive yes. voice? They, they described him <laughs> ah. in the, you know, the, the authority. Now, Brian me the most receptive voice on I mean, come on. What is a receptive voice? Okay, Chris Wallace, who always gives me a hard time with that. <laughs> so I'm, 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 it means I'm open to all opinions, even if they're there wrong. It means I'm open. It's, it's, it, there's never a no-go zone. Oh, okay. That's Good. Great. We'll put it this all way. Right. No Got one's it. grabbed it, right? I mean, I'm trying to grab yeah. a moniker that nobody else has. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and there's there no competition the for it. There, Every day I check theory. to see if there's any competition. No one's trying yeah, to get well, into my licensing. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's like, who's the Norwegian Dancing with the Stars winner? I mean, they don't even have it. <laughs> we don't dance. I mean, we just look at our feet. So, all right. Well, now that, that is great. So, Carl's, issues, Carl's, let's get on to the election. Right. So, uh, Carl, of course, referring to he dance at the Washington Correspondents' Dinner and the president danced on all his events. Carl. I, if you yes. told me the president was going to be dancing at these events, not him. Like He's got all this prize. His hair's got to look great. He's got to have a certain look all the time. He's had a great time over the last yeah, two and a half is. weeks, don't you think? Oh, yeah. And, and look, uh, American people want to see a fighter, but they also want to see somebody who's in a fight with a smile on their face and joy in their heart. And, I mean, you're right. He dances to YMCA. I mean, come on. It's like every time somebody would say the USMCA, I'd be thinking of YMCA, and it must have gotten stuck in his head, too. So, uh, yeah, he's having fun at it, and you got to have fun at this. Otherwise, it gets to be a dismal, dismal way of living. Absolutely. So I want you to hear what he said this morning about the difference in his campaign, Cup 4. Only in Pennsylvania. You know, uh, we win Pennsylvania, we win the whole deal. You know that, huh? There is much more enthusiasm for this campaign than there was four years ago. He said two things I think you can agree with, that there's much more enthusiasm. And number two yeah. is they win Pennsylvania. They could, they, they're likely to win the whole thing, right? Yeah, I think that's right. And you're right. It's, uh, now, part of it is, is that they, you know, they did rallies. And now, I mean, literally people travel the country to go to another rally, uh, you know, it's. Uh, I have a friend from Texas who was visiting with visiting her son at college in Tennessee, and she, on the spur of the moment, decided to go down, go to the rally in uh, in Rome, Georgia, and, and she was blown away by how many people said, "Well, I'm from someplace else, and I just wanted to come." You know, I'm from Tennessee, or I'm from Kentucky, and I just wanted to be able to say that I've been to a rally, and uh, you know, pretty powerful. Those rallies, although they get criticism because we're in the middle of the coronavirus and people choose not to wear their masks, which makes things uh, difficult for the president politically. But having said that, uh, I understand from experts like you, they, they ripple. They ripple before the yeah. president gets there and after. Do you think yeah. we'll see that? 
Uh, well, this is particularly important in states that allow uh, on Election Day voting. But let me share some secret information with you. There, there was a rally okay. at Kenosha recently, uh, and the internal numbers outside of, inside the Trump campaign, 17 percent of the people who were there were Democrats. 34 wow. percent were indep- were 34 percent were independents. Less than half the crowd were Republicans. And a quarter of the people who were there did not vote in 2016. And uh, they've got they've got data like this on all of the all of the rallies that they have. They carefully monitor them. They know who those people are. Don't you think that 34 percent who uh, were independents and uh, the the group that were 17 uh, percent of the Democrats and the 25 percent who didn't vote in 26 are getting extra special care to make sure they get to the polls. This is where the ground game and the use of big data by the Trump campaign is going to give them an advantage. Now, how, how big an advantage? Well, we don't know. But let me just tell you, if you've got a crowd of you know 20,000 people and a quarter of them didn't vote last time around versus a campaign that's got maybe 300 people, even if 25 percent of them had not voted before, you know, that's not a big of a pool decision as the Trump campaign is building in these rallies. Now, you're right. Let's set aside the question of masks. I'd love it if everybody wore a mask and they were held out outside. But this is you know, pretty powerful. Listen, I, I hear you. Uh, I know it. We I know the reality. But I will say this, Carl, I know you go inside the campaign. You talk about ground game. There's something that the American people love about somebody that hustles. I know it in sports that that person that comes off the bench ends up being the most popular and and plays well and sparks a team ends up being the most popular person for the rest of their life. And there's something about a guy that's willing that says, this is how much it means to me. I'm not taking you for granted. I'm showing up for free and I'm going to outwork the other guy. And the other guy is just the opposite. It's not Barack Obama who did work hard and Bill Clinton. You know, your guy worked extremely hard, President Bush. This guy is not even trying. Can you imagine having someone say, I looked at our campaign, and the best thing for us is for you not to do anything? And that's the contrast that I think some ambivalent, uh, undecided voters might be converted to. Am I right by that? Well, look, I'd say this. First of all, the strategy of keeping a low visibility for him worked. Uh, in March, April, May, June, July. But I agree with you. The American people want somebody who's going to be out there scrapping for it. And the message of the of the Biden campaign earlier was brilliant. I will, I'm not Trump. I'm Mr. Unity. I'll unify the country. But you've got to have that message connected with something that people care about. And and just let's be honest. Biden's message is I'm not Trump, and I blame him for everything bad that happened on COVID. And not fair. Particularly, the latter point is like really not you know supported by the facts. But he got away with saying it. Now, however, that's become a problem for him because what we've got now is we have a uh, you know we have we have no substance. First of all, I mean people use the unity message and it matters. You know, Ronald Reagan said, "I'm going to unify the country," but it wasn't just a vapid pre- uh, promise. It was, "I'm going to unify the country around." A supply-side tax cut to reignite our economy, rebuild our American military so we're respected around the world, and limit the power of the federal government so we're more in control of our own lives. You know, everybody who's made the unity message, whether it's FDR in the 30s or my man McKinley in 1896, have all tied the call to unity to something substantive, not him. You know, have we heard a big explanation of what his agenda is? You know, he started – he's had to start talking about it here at the end. But it's all platitudes. I've got a Biden energy plan. 
you know, I'm going to make the wealthy pay their fair share. But but we've not had a sustained dialogue between the two candidates about his agenda. We know what Trump will do. He's going to you know, reignite the economy just like he did in 2017 with less regulation and more power to the to the to the consumer and the small business person. He's going to put the emphasis on markets, not government dictate. But we have very little that the American people understand about what Joe Biden wants to do, and that that would that, that's I think one of the reasons the race is tightening. And if he were to be elected. It would mean that he would go into the office with a mandate to do nothing except not be Donald Trump. So, uh, Carl, one of Vieira's expertise is reporting precincts and things like that. So could you give our audience an understanding of what we could see first of significance? I believe most eyes point to Florida first. What are we looking for? Well, we're really looking at uh, states that come in early, uh, start reporting early that are in the southeast U.S. and have big chunks. Florida is only one of three. You have a you have. Uh, you have uh, Florida, but you also have North Carolina and Georgia. Uh, we will also be looking at Ohio because uh, my gut tells me Ohio is going to be fine for Trump. Uh, he's sort of he has not put television on in there because he felt so good about it. It also comes in early, and we'll report early. Like Florida, think about this: twenty-two days ago, Florida started working the absentee ballots that it received, validating them, making certain that they met all the rules. Uh, making yeah. certain that they, you know, and guess what? They're already tabulating them. So the moment that the polls close in Florida, those ballots will be, you know, fed through the, the, the counters and bang, there they are. There's the number. Unlike Pennsylvania, which also is early, but will has kept open. You, you can, the ballots could be received up to Friday and they are not, they, they will be able to start working those ballots today, tonight, 5 PM, which means it will be at least Friday and in all likelihood, Saturday or Sunday or Monday of, of next week before we know the final vote in Pennsylvania. So when we look there, we got to be careful to remember we don't know nothing, you know, because we don't have the all the mail in ballots are, have not even arrived. And we're just they're just starting to work the balance of them, the ones that have arrived. So we, the same thing will happen in you know, Wisconsin is going to they'll start working them tonight, but at least they have to be in tonight. Same with Michigan. They'll start working the ballots there tonight, but at least all the ballots have to be in. And uh, but those those are going to take several days to come to count anyway. So we, we're not we're not going to know those three states tonight. Won't know two of them for a couple of days and won't won't know one of them until next weekend at the earliest. And so that's going to complicate our lives in looking at um uh, you know, how the election is shaping up. Right. But why did it take so long to call Florida last time, 2016? Well, it was because it's close. Think about this. I think in the last seven presidential elections, there have been a total of 50 million votes cast in Florida. And the Republican and Democratic totals are 20,000 votes apart. So it's, it's it's been the traditional close state, at least in particularly in, in um, you know, okay. in the 21st century. Gotcha. So Florida is an indication. So, for example, if you hear that the Florida gets into Trump's column, what does that mean for North Carolina and Georgia? Anything? Well, it means probably means that uh, in, in the southeast, he's uh, he's in good shape. But again, each state is different. Atlanta dominates Georgia and it has a significantly higher black population than both North Carolina and Florida. It's like Florida has a much larger Latino population than, than either of those two states. But if he wins Florida, first of all, it means if, if Biden's going to win, it ain't going to be an easy knockout. 
And second of all, it probably means that he's in better shape, that he's in good shape in, in Georgia and North Carolina and could take all three. Now, remember, he's got 36 that he can give, 36 electoral votes he can give. He won 306. So, you know, he's got some, some give that he can, you know, he can let go, st- lose them and still win the presidency. But, you know, th- if you take out 29 with Florida, then you got problems if you if you lose, you know, Arizona with 11 or Wisconsin with 10 yeah. or Michigan with 16 or Pennsylvania with 20. So, uh, you know, taking those three southeastern states would be a very good sign for Trump. And we'll know. Uh, Florida pretty quickly. Georgia will know mostly, you know, sort of mid 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 time, you know, mid range. Uh, North Carolina is is will be later reporting because they've got so many counties. And you know, people forget it's you know it's half, it's the Atlantic Ocean halfway to the Mississippi River, and it's a big state. So physically, and with a lot of little counties that take a while to get their numbers in that kind of thing. All right. And one thing about Georgia, you told me that the African American vote is falling off, which looks better, sadly, for the Republicans, right? Well, it, it, it's not falling off. It is a smaller percentage of the overall vote than it needs to be. Uh, there'll be more black vote from uh, Georgia than there have been in the past, but it's a share. The, the rule of thumb is if you want to win in Georgia, it can't, don't, don't ask me why this is, but if Georgia is one of two states in the country that keeps that the voter registration rolls have race on them. So we know what we know how many black voters there are because that's what's on the voter file. So in the early vote, to win statewide, you need to get roughly 31 to 32 percent of the vote needed yep. to be from the African-American community. In the early vote so, uh, through uh, Friday, uh, it was uh, 27, just under 28 percent. So they aren't gotcha. at the number that they need. Uh, you know, right. Now, the president's running better, at least in the polls, uh, among blacks, particularly young black males, that uh, – that those numbers may need to actually be a little bit higher. Gotcha. Uh, but but right now, it looks like Georgia might be ending up in Trump's right. column, at least on the base of the earth. Call Rove. I watch you all night. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Call Rove. Thank you. Thank you, sir. You bet. All the best. I'm very receptive to him and you. Back in a moment. From Liberty State Park, it's Election Day 2020 with Brian Kilmeade. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Uh, We're going to have... A great guest just around the Ben Center, Rick Scott. But now I want to go to Moises on the Fox News Radio app in New Jersey. Moises. Hi, good morning, Brian. Thank you so much for taking my call. What's news in New Jersey? Well, you know what? Over here in New Jersey, I just got off duty. I'm actually a firefighter here, you know, over here in the Northeast, right across the river from New York. And, yeah, you know, I'm excited. I'm nervous, you know, feeling everything today. You know, it's even in New Jersey, we're, we're a blue state. You know, like over here, like the people are very excited, the ones I speak to at least, about voting. You know, it's, it's insane. I've never seen it before. Great. And you say you're disappointed about uh, the president not making a bigger deal with the higher amount of African-Americans? No, not the president. I don't blame the president. I blame the RNC because here's the thing. The, the president, what he did was basically give the GOP an identity because prior to him, they had an identity crisis. 
You know, and the way I see it from my perspective, you have a record number of women, minorities, veterans. I'm a former Marine myself. And right now, you know, for better, or for worse, right now, it is all about Trump, you know, and he's a very effective communicator, but it's a double edged sword. He's got the communication power of a shotgun, but also has the accuracy of one. And what he needs is backup. And if you have candidates like John James, like Anna Paulina Luna in Florida 13, Burgess Owens, my candidate here in Congressional District 9, you know, Billy Prempe, if you have people like them making the case, backing him up, laying out the agenda, not just for this cycle, but also a post-Trump, I hear you, you know, the identity of the future of the GOP. Moises, Nobody knows great points, and thanks for all you're doing, what you did in the military, what you do in law enforcement, and the firefighters. Back with Rick Scott next. Great points. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I ended up with 306. That was good numbers. 223 to 306. And that was a that was a big number. And I think that we will top it. I'll leave it at that. I think we'll top it. President of the United States on Fox and Friends 92 hours ago. Now he joins us for about 45 minutes. Uh, and was the first interview of the day. Cynthia is the only one he's doing on television, although he did it on the phone. He's predicting a bigger victory, but he's being measured about it. He's not saying, I'm going to win, and there's no doubt about it, because we know the country's giving him a verdict. It, it's not a matter of selling. Uh, we're about to get the verdict. So I'm looking forward to hearing what Senator Rick Scott has to say. Not only does Rick Scott know about winning, he knows about winning close elections and being relentless in doing so. He also, like the president, will not be outworked. Senator, welcome back. Thanks to be back. It's all it's all about getting the vote out. I mean, he, he has a lot of energy in this state. There's a lot of support. I was at the rally uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning. Um, he got I mean, think about how many people show up to for his, for his rally. So there's a lot of there's a lot of interest here. So he's got a good campaign manager here. He's got a good grassroots. You know, hey, Brian, the Democrats don't have a grassroots effort here like they've had in the past. It's no. really interesting. So I think that's going to impact them. When you say, how big was this crowd? I know Marco Rubio was speaking. I think it was in Miami, um, yeah. Dade County. Uh, yeah. How big was it, would you say? Oh, I, I would guess it's fifteen to 20,000 people. It was a lot. I mean, it was a lot of people. And, uh, you know, it, it's fun when you do those because when I spoke, um, you know, I say, Caremos uh, Cuatro Años Mas, and it's fun when they, uh, when they take it up and do a, a chant afterwards. And so, but four more years, that's what they, they, that's what we're saying, and we need four more years. So he's right on the issues in Florida. He's right for Floridians. He's stood up to the dictators in Latin America, which is important to us. He's better on the economy. He's not going to, he doesn't support Joe Biden's big tax increase. Uh, he likes the law enforcement. He likes the military. I mean, who's what's what? Why would if you're a Floridian, why would you vote for Biden? I mean, he's going to be horrible for our state. Well, uh, I'm not sure he's going to make Cuba cool again. He's going to keep Maduro in power. Number two. Uh, but number three is what you guys uh, Republicans are hurting with is seniors. According to all the stats, seniors are a little ticked at the president for not doing a better job in their mind, in their words on the pandemic. 
And do you think that is true? And that's his vulnerability, not only in Florida, but in the country. But let's look at what he did. I mean, he shut down the travel from China early and Joe Biden criticized him for that. And so did Nancy Pelosi. So he, that was that was a big deal. He is they have worked really hard to give doctors the authority to make decisions. So our therapeutics are way better. Um, I talked to Steve Hahn this last weekend and talked about the therapeutics at you know, the head of the FDA. We are making progress on the vaccine. I'm excited about that. I, I'm optimistic that that's going to happen. Uh, so, uh, you know, when they, they all say they'd like President Trump to do something better, would I like him to talk more about masks? Yeah. Would I like him to talk more about social distancing? Absolutely. I wish the states, and most, most information comes out from the states, give us more information about who's getting sick, where the transmission is, that's state data. That's not national. That's not federal data. That's state data. So I think our states need to do a better job. Our locals need to do a better job of getting information out. But but President Trump's going to do great with Hispanics. I win the Hispanic vote because, you know, I show up and talk to them. They care about the same things that all Floridians care about, jobs, education for their kids, law enforcement. They want to be safe. Those things the president's good on. So I think he's going to do great with Hispanics also. So, Senator, you told me, too, I remember you were up for election and Puerto Rico was getting hit by another natural disaster. And a lot of the Puerto Ricans relocated to Florida. And the president was speaking pretty directly about Puerto Rico and the corrupt government. And this country's got to bail itself out. Look, it's been a, it's a mess. And you were worried about that being how that was being interpreted. Upon further review, it turns out the Puerto Rican people knew that their government was letting them down the road, was wasting their money, and they weren't getting the resources. And they didn't mind the president, it seems, talking bluntly about their their commonwealth, correct? Absolutely. You know, here's what my experience. One, we need to help um, the Puerto Rican communities. Whether they stay on the island or they come to Florida or some other place in the country, they're American citizens. I want to help them, and that's what I try to do as governor. On top of that, we need to do everything we can to make sure there's no corruption. You know what? The Speaker of the House in Puerto Rico agrees with me. The Senate President agrees with me. The sitting governor agrees with me. The, the last lieutenant governor agrees with me. The congresswoman agrees with me. They want government to work better. And they and I'm going to do everything I can to continue to help Puerto Rico. I know the president's working to help, working to help Puerto Rico. And so, it, you know, and I'm glad that I'm glad that Puerto Rico is doing better. There's still a lot of work to do. And I'm glad a lot of them came to Florida and they have great jobs here. So uh, we know Kamala Harris was there and, and President Obama was there to try to uh, gin up the vote. Were they successful? Did you hear anything no. about the ripple effects of their appearances? No, no, there's no, you know, if you drive around Florida, there's no energy for Biden. One, you know, signs don't mean everything, but there's no signs for Biden. There's, you know, he can't get a bunch of people to show up at a rally like Trump can. Look at, I mean, Trump's rally, you know, it was at 1140 at night and people stayed for another hour plus. I mean, it was packed with people. And so the, you know, there's so much energy, (laughs) energy, and he's got a great team. He has the same grassroots person that did my three races, same campaign manager did my race and his race in 2016. That's why I think Trump's going to have a nice win. I think he's actually going to do better than he did in 2016 here. I mean, he's going to get a bigger percentage of the Hispanic vote, and there's more reasons to vote for him. People didn't – it's like my first race as governor. No one knew what I was going to be like. I'm a business guy. you know. You know the, so they, they weren't sure. But it was, you know, in the re-election as governor, they said, oh, I know what this guy's like now. I want, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to re-elect him. So, and that's what's going to happen in Trump. They can say, I, hey, he's good for jobs. I think that's good for me. 
Hey, he's good for law enforcement. That's good for me. Oh, we don't like socialism. He doesn't like it either. That's good for me. So that's why people are going to vote for him in Florida. And the taxes. Think about it, Brian. How many people come down here because they want lower taxes? And Joe Biden's out there bragging Everyone. he's going to have the biggest tax increase ever? While getting rid of the president's tax cuts, which aren't for the rich, they lost one percentage point. It was mainly a corporate tax cut, which transfers to small businesses throughout America. They and and less regulation helps the restaurant down the block and the dry cleaner. And and we, it doesn't matter what the catchphrase is. You know what your tax bill is. So John Crashauer weighed in on something I know matters a lot to you, and that's keeping the majority in the Senate. He is a senior political editor for National Journal. Tell me if you buy into his theory. Cut forty four. These Senate races are all nationalized. They're all about. President Trump. And if you don't like President Trump, it's hard. I mean, a lot of the Republicans thought that Tom Tillis had a really good chance to, to emerge in the lead after the sex scandal for his Democratic opponent. But what a lot of Republicans are seeing is that everything is so nationalized that people are just casting straight ticket ballots more and more. So while there could be a surprise in North Carolina, Tom Tillis, their, their campaign has hope that they can break out at the very end. But it's, it, you know, straight party tickets are, 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 are so much more common these days. So it's, it's really hard hard to see sort of senators running ahead of the Trump ticket. In fact, Republican senators need Trump more than ever, even, even no matter what his job approval rating ends up being. Well, so if I look at the president's job it. approval in those, go ahead. Go ahead. Senator. Yeah, we're going to win. We're going to keep a majority. Susan Collins is going to win. Susan Collins is well known as a great senator representing her state. Tom Tillis is going to win. We might have one uh, or two runoffs in Georgia, but but we're, we're all eventually going to win those seats. I think we're going to we're going to clearly pick up Alabama. We've got a shot at pick, picking up Michigan. John James is doing well up there. Mark Ronchetta has a shot in New Mexico to take us in the seat there, uh, and we're gonna, we're going to win in Arizona. Joan, I was out campaigning with Martha McSally. Uh, Cory Gardner, he's got the hardest race, but if he gets his vote out, he can win. Steve Daines is going to win. Roger Marshall in Kansas is going to win. Joni Ernst is going to win in Iowa. I think we, we're going to keep a majority Republicans uh, because we have great candidates. They've, they have talked about the issues that impact their state. We have individuals in the Senate represent their state, and that's why they're going to win. Very interesting, because Arizona is something that even Cindy McCain is pushing everybody away from the president. Senator Jeff Flake, a Republican, pushing people away from the president. So in Arizona, it seems to be an uphill battle, and McSally's been trailing by seven or eight points. Are you seeing something different on the ground in Arizona? Oh, I was out there. There's so much energy. But, Brian, just remember, every pulse that I would lose in 2010, 2014, and 2018 in my races, I mean, they, they, whether it's intentional or not, they, the polls generally skew against Republicans. I was out there with Martha McSally. A lot of energy out there. There's a lot of interest. Uh, I, was, I, did, uh, I went to a phone bank and made phone calls. People are very supportive of Martha McSally. I think she's. I think she's going to win. I think. I think President's going to win in in, uh, in Arizona. I think. I think there's when people go get down and have to say, okay, what's good for my family? That's why they're going to vote. And we're going to vote for Republican senators, and that's not why they're going to vote for Trump. Here's what the people don't want: they don't want stack in the courts. They don't. They don't want to get rid of the filibuster. The filibuster. The benefit of the filibuster in the Senate is the minority party has some influence. That Voice. way, we yeah. we don't we don't constantly just change the laws in this country. Let's be thoughtful about this. Let's make sure a significant majority of the country agree with us. And that's so. And now the Democrats are saying they're going to pack the course. They're going to get rid of the filibuster because all they want is power. Schumer and Pelosi are power, power, power. And they're going to they want the Green New Deal. They want to get rid of they want to do Medicare for all, which is going to kill the private health care insurance. Gotcha. I mean, meanwhile, Joe Biden runs these ads and he's going to do something on health care. 
Yeah, with the, think about what they did in health care. Obamacare raised the you prices. Fired up. They raised the deductibles. It's horrible right. Senator, what they did. I'll have to stop you there, but, man, you are fired up. Senator Rick Scott, is, it's almost like you're on the ballot uh, in Florida predicting victory. <laughs> Thanks, Senator. I see you. Bye-bye. Uh, when we come back, simulcast, Varney and Company. You'll see what I look like without a jacket on. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. And we'll have a few minutes at the end of the segment to take a few calls. So stay on board. one 408 We're at Liberty State Park right across the river from uh, New York City. Uh, we're heard around the country, heard around the world. About to go on the fastest growing cable network in the entire land, FBN, with Stuart Varney, who happens to be the number one. Uh, so let's listen in together. He joins us. All right, Brian, earlier today, the president joined you on Fox and Friends He specifically called out Joe Biden's connection to the squad. I want to show the audience what he said. Roll tape, please. That group of people is probably close to impossible to run. Uh, That's the, the, I call it the AOC plus three. Um, That's a a tough group to run, and they they would take the country into a terrible place. But Joe's going to have a hard time. He's not going to be able to handle them. All right, Brian, what do you say to that? That's pretty categorical, isn't it? I mean, he's basically and saying it, the socialists for, run the party. Uh, well, and we've been talking about this. Yeah. Uh, with Stuart, what I did is that we rolled in the Bernie Sanders clip of a Zoom call, which was put out to the public, of him addressing and trying to buck up AOC plus three and saying, we're going to make him the most progressive president ever. We're going to get our agenda across. We're going to push for the new Green Deal. We're going to demand Medicare for all. Now, think about the frustration for the president. He knows that's the agenda, but they're not tell. He will not right. fess up to it. He slipped on fracking. He slipped on natural uh, oil and ga- on oil and gas. And Kamala Harris stands directly against that. Remember, she's net zero, net zero carbon. That might be responsible or a goal down the line. She wants it today. What would that do in Texas? But the problem is the president can't get him to admit that this is going to be the agenda. Maybe he doesn't know that he's going to be steamrolled. But that's what they're going to do. They're going to go at Biden the way they went at Trump. And if you do believe Biden stands for something, I'm not sure because he barely ever campaigns, uh, then he's not going to have a shot. Even his running mate doesn't believe what he believes or says he believes. And that's the frustration for the president. And that's why he rolled in the clips at his events, to see the duplicity. I'm going to run a little tape from just a few minutes, an hour ago. This is from Pennsylvania, where Joe Biden is there. This is in Scranton, Pennsylvania. That is Joe Biden. I think he's going into into a restaurant or he's going into his childhood home. But that's his childhood home. The thing is, Brian, that's not a spontaneous crowd. He's got a small crowd of people who are following him around in his car. They're in their own cars. They're following around Pennsylvania. That's nothing like the crowds that the president is bringing out in Pennsylvania. Stuart, why is he going there twice today? This is a guy that was campaigning once a week. This is a guy that needed five days to get ready for a debate and three days to recover from a debate. Why did he have the schedule he had yesterday? Why is he in Pennsylvania twice today? Why does he insulate himself from opposition press and might give him a tough question? The president actually sits there every day and says, next, 
works his way up and down the line. Do the American people really look at both these men and saying they both are approaching this in the same fair, equitable way? Are they actually saying the media is giving equal scrutiny to both sides? Not close. And I think the average yeah. person, not knee-deep in politics, demands and, more from the press and demands more from a candidate who wants to be president. And there's no social distancing in that crowd. None whatsoever. Maybe Joe is pulling back from his nickname of Lockdown Joe. Have we got the last word to you, Brian? You've got 10 seconds. That's it. Uh, I, I really think Florida is going to say so much. They're going to come in the quickest. If the president loses, it's virtually over, mathematically not. But well, I think that when Florida comes in, if the president wins, like I just talked to Rick Scott about, he thinks it's done, they're going to win, then it's game on. Game yes. on the rest of the way. Throw out all the polls. Got to watch that all night long. Brian, thank you very much for being with us, always. This is a great day. Thanks, Thanks for Brian. having me here in Jersey. <laughs> All right, yes, so I'll uh, take some calls. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Let's go to Jason listening online as we release the simulcast on FBN. You're in Idaho. Hey, Jason. Hey, Brian. Thank you for taking my call. I'm uh, excited today, as you guys are. I'll admit, a little bit nervous. Obviously, uh, you're a little bit nervous. <laughs> Uh, I mean, definitely. I've never seen a common event. Well, the pandemic is the other one. If I bring up the yeah. pandemic, every person you talk to has a personal, some tribulations they've been through. When you bring up the I, election, I, everyone yeah, deals I, with it differently. I, I agree. I, I got to say, I'm a, I voted Democrat in 26. I voted Democrat my whole life. Uh, I've only voted in four uh, uh, presidential elections, but I voted Democrat every year. Uh, 2016 voted Democrat. Uh, but, but something happened in the interim. A, a massive event in my life really changed my outlook and brought me around and uh, to the, you know, the Trump, uh, the Republicans, and I will be voting Trump. A, a huge, big life-changing thing happened. What happened? Uh, I was kicked in the head by a horse. No. Well, I hope you refer better. So Jason in uh, Idaho was kicked in the head. I hope he feels better. Uh, Andy, WDBO, in, in Florida. Hey, Andy. Hi. Um, yeah, long-time Kilmead listener, and I am living in the I-4 corridor, and I'm pretty certain that Florida is going to go Trump's way big time, a lot bigger than they say. My question is, how come nobody's been monitoring California as much they're also sure it's going to go Democrat. I have a prediction that it may very well go Trump's way. No, I, I don't think so. In fact, Andy, no? I know they showed up in Newport. I know they show up in different places. He's appeared for fundraisers. But the problem in California, they say not only, Andy, might you be off on that prediction, they say he might uh, lose by a record amount. And it's not that Joe Biden's captured the imagination of Californians. Uh, but the president has, uh, has, I guess, ticked them off, and he's not gone out of his way to win them over. Hopefully that changes. Dave, listen on WVMT. Hey, Dave. Yeah, from the Socialist Republic of Burlington. How you doing, Brian? You know, uh, I wish well, you'd put this down. As, go ahead. Hi. I wish you'd put this down as one of your bullet points. Uh, when we talk about COVID numbers, how many lives would have been lost if the wall wasn't built? They were having caravans. It's a good point. I never bring that up, and I should. And by the way, the president doesn't bring that up. But he has got 400 miles of wall. That is a victory. Uh, getting in with these triangle countries and saying, let's work it out. I'll get, restore your aid if you uh, re, uh, reestablish your borders and dealing with Mexico. All victories for the president. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from Jersey City, just over the New York Harbor. You'll see Manhattan. Over to my left shoulder, you'll see the Statue of Liberty in Ellis Island. Over to the right, where the World Trade Center once stood and where the uh, Freedom Tower now stands, 1,776 feet high. One thing that we did not discuss, the president decided to put out the 19, 1776 uh, education program where we're going to have patriotic education for America. He wants to implement that in the executive order. He did it, but for it to actually go into uh, go into uh, into action, the president's going to have to win four more years, and that's the big question of the day. We're finally here, Election Day, so I want to take your calls, one 408 7669. Chris Christie coming up. Ken Cuccinelli at the bottom of the hour. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I ended up with 306. That was good numbers. 223 to 306. And that was a that was a big number. And I think that we will top it. I'll leave it at that. I think we'll top it. After 15 events in 72 hours, President Trump called into Fox and Friends two hours ago. His candid thoughts on his last campaign next. Number two. And folks, I have a feeling we're coming together for a big win tomorrow. This is not the crowd of somebody that's going to lose the state of Michigan. I think tomorrow is going to be one of the greatest wins in the history of politics. Final arguments and a look at both dramatically different game plans and closing messages. Number one. So I'm looking at Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, and Ohio, all of which will report relatively early in the evening. And then later in the night, I'll be looking at Iowa and Arizona. And then have a clue if the president's going to win four more years or not. It's here, the official end of voting, but not counting for election 2020. What to look for tonight as we try to hammer out a winner between Biden and Trump and keep our cities together. Because a lot of them are boarding up, expecting if Trump wins, people not to react kindly. Joining us now, Governor Christie, former governor of New Jersey, good friend of the president, uh, played a vital role in his last reelection and reorgan- an organization to get stand up his administration. Governor, the president says... Uh, cautiously, he thinks he's going to go over 300 electoral uh, votes today. Do you do you echo that? Listen, I think anything is possible at this point, Brian. I would think he's probably overshooting it a little bit because I don't see him winning every one of those states he won last time. Plus, um, I, I think he's going to have a hard time in the upper Midwest. Uh, but I still think that there is a very, very doable path for him even without those two, Michigan and Wisconsin, to be able to get to the 270 he needs. And if I were him, I wouldn't be obsessing on on the number except for the number being 270. 270 gets you another four-year lease, and uh, that's what you're looking for. So how do you feel today overall about it? If I, I walked up to you in the street or let's say the Mets were actually in action and you were hanging out in your suite and I yelled up to you at the game because I'm not really invited to your suite, and I said, Governor, what do you think about this election? Um, what, would you, what would you say to me? 
I know what you want, but what do you think? uh, What I think is it's going to be incredibly close tonight, very close. And and I think that there are um, three states to me that I'll be watching very, very closely, and that's Georgia, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania. Uh, I think the president's going to win Arizona, and I think his win in Arizona is going to actually create a real opportunity for Martha McSally to keep that seat. Um, I, I think the I think the president um, is going to do extraordinarily well in Florida, and I think we'll know that relatively early on that he's going to be a winner in Florida. Um, and I but, so then it's really going to come down to and I, well, by the way, in Iowa, I think he's going to win and win win well enough to make sure that Joni Ernst keeps her seat in the Senate as well. So, you know, it's going to come down to those three states, I believe, if the president can win. Georgia, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania, he's going to get over 270 and, uh, and be sent back for another four years and send all of these pundits who have been calling this race over, you know, into, uh, into a tizzy. Well, it's amazing. It's over. He has never been leading in almost anybody's poll. So, I mean, only you, you live in ABC, so you must know this. I mean, you must be rolling your eyes most of the time because no one ever gives him a shot. They'll say they'll just try to keep their careers together in case he wins and say something. But the Monmouth poll gives Biden a seven-point lead. High turnout gives him a five-point win. Uh, registered voters, he gets a five-point win. Uh, the 538 uh, gives him only a 10% chance of success. I mean, if you look at the Drudge Report, which used to be a place where, uh, where conservatives could find some facts and different stories, it becomes more left-wing than the Huffington Post, let alone what Twitter and Facebook are doing. Every network and two of the three news networks, they have not given him a shot. You realize that. And they're not even examining Joe Biden. I imagine even in your political career, you've never seen anything like it. No, I, I think the, the lack of attention to the Hunter Biden story um, broadly by the mainstream media, is the biggest and best example in my lifetime of, of biased cheerleading uh, for a particular candidate. Um, I, I just I could not believe that you had that kind of story out there and that they weren't even asking questions about it. And, and I think it just shows that, you know, listen, the president has gotten the largest amount of civic engagement I've ever seen in my lifetime in terms of enthusiasm for, for people to be involved in the process. And I think that's a good thing. Um, but what it's also caused is incredible um, anxiety and animosity uh, from the mainstream media. And they feel like they're at war with him because he's at war with them. And um, they have abandoned their responsibility when they were given the airwaves for free, Brian, which was to serve the public and to inform the public. And, and I think in a lot of ways they've abandoned, many of them have abandoned that responsibility. So listen, if he was going against you, if he was going against Bill Clinton, if he was going against Barack Obama, it would be differing beliefs, but we would have two very good, good candidates. Listen to a little of Joe Biden yesterday. He's doing two or three events in a row for the first time ever. Listen to what you get. Cut eight. I don't care. Donald Trump doesn't understand health care. He thinks it's a privilege. I think health care is a right. Donald care? I've never heard of Donald care. What about this? Cut 11. I never believed there would be this much in jeopardy. We launched our campaign over on the Oval back in 29, May 9, 2019. 
But, you know, what I said then, we've been through a lot since then. Okay, we, he didn't launch his campaign in the Oval Office. It wasn't in 29. And this is why they kept him back. Not only can he keep pace, he can't even keep a slow pace. No, listen, I, I, I've known Joe Biden for 35 years, Brian. I, I met him when I was in college at the University of Delaware. And I've known him ever since. And this just simply is not the same Joe Biden as we've seen throughout the years. And um, I think it's it's deeply concerning to hear some of those things. I really do. Yeah, it's not funny. Uh, it really isn't. No, because no, he could be president and the people around him know it. Listen, Brian, it's not something to joke about. And that's why I didn't joke about it. I mean, it is. I know. It, it, someone is going to have. Either he or the or the president is going to have the responsibility to lead this nation and in many respects to lead the world over the course of the of the next four years. And you need to make sure you have someone in that job um, who who has all of the capacity they need to be able to deal with the stress and the pressure um, of that job. No question. And and so, listen, I, I think that, you know, people have a lot to, to digest as they've been making their votes. Um, and, and I continue, by the way, Brian, to have faith in the American people. Um, I, I believe that they understand the games that the media plays. I think they understand um, the, the games that they see happening um, before their eyes on, on, the, on the streets of our cities and other places. And they're gonna, they're, they get it right most of the time. They really do. I mean, there have been elections I've disagreed with. But um, I, I think the American people are, are pretty wise. And I think that they get it and they understand how important this election is. And they're going to make – that's why I think you're seeing such high participation because people really are engaged. The president has engaged them, and I think they're going to do the very best they can um, to get out to vote today. And we may see maybe 150 million Americans voting um, in this election, which would be which would be pretty extraordinary. What does that mean for either candidate? Gosh, you know – Listen, I think if we get up to – right now they're saying that the pre-election voting is at somewhere – I think I saw on your network – somewhere around 101 million. That means you'd have 49 yep. million additional people coming out today. I think that's good news for the president, um, Brian, because the, the heavy propensity of voters today, I believe, are going to be Republican voters. I think the Democrats worked very hard and, quite frankly, very effectively – in getting their vote in early and scaring people with the postal service nonsense and all the rest of it to say your vote may not be counted if you don't get it in early. But, you know, you're cannibalizing your election day vote then. And so I think that today they, they certainly have leads in many of these states coming into it based upon the ballots that, that have been returned by party registration, although you don't know who those people voted for. Um, but I think you're going to see if you see us get up to 150 million, that means 40, 49, 50 million people voted today. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be good news for the president because he's closed very strong. So, listen, uh, Governor, I just want people to know what the Democrats are hiding from. They're hiding from what they debated for a year and a half to pick a candidate. That was decriminalizing border crossing, getting rid of private insurance, Medicare for all, the new Green Deal, uh, getting rid of fracking, and, and going to net zero when it comes to oil and gas. So poisonous was it to the general population, Clyburn steps up and anoints a guy that was just on a, on a 
shoestring on dental floss, his whole campaign. And they were afraid of a socialist getting crushed by Trump, so they put Biden in there. And every time their true agenda comes up, people panic. Like, listen to Kamala Harris, by mistake, narrates this ad, Cut 13. So there's a big difference between equality and equity. Equality suggests, oh, everyone should get the same amount. The problem with that, not everybody's starting out from the same place. It's about giving people the resources and the support they need so that everyone can be on equal footing and then compete on equal footing. Equitable treatment means we all end up at the same place. Really, equitable treatment means that, as Liz Cheney tweeted out, sounds like Karl Marx. A century of history has shown us that path leads, that's where it leads. We all embrace equal opportunity, but government-enforced equity, uh, equality of outcomes is Marxism. Do we, Dan Crenshaw, the false promise of the left in one minute, start out with a well-intentioned point of equality, only it ends up with Marxist intent, equity in outcomes. That's from Marxist doctrine. I mean— you got to be kidding me. Are, they, are we gradually, is the water gradually getting hotter? Does America want this? Equal outcomes? We want to compete. No, I mean, that's, a, that's what America has been built on, has been competition, capitalist competition, the competition of ideas, and that not everybody's going to end up in the same place. In America, there are going to be people who win and people who don't. Um, now, it doesn't mean that we leave people behind in terms of helping those that are the most needy. America's always been also, by the way, the most generous country in the world. And so what she just said there is clearly socialism. I mean, that's what it is. You know, the old saying, you know, um, you know, to all according to his needs, from all according to their means. I mean, that, that kind of thing is not what America's been built on. And listen, let's face facts here, Brian. The last two times the Democrats have elected a president, in Bill Clinton and in Barack Obama, both times they overread their election, they overread their mandate, and then you had an enormous uh, reaction to that in the country. The 1994 midterm elections that brought Newt Gingrich in as the, as the Speaker of the House um, and the 2010 midterm elections, which brought change all up and down the ticket. As you'll recall, all the governors we elected, all the state houses and the changes that we made in Congress. And so that should be proof to the Democratic Party. And I think it was that they didn't want to talk about this stuff. Um, And that's why they didn't talk about it as a campaign issue broadly um, and why people have to really listen carefully. And I think, uh, you know, Senator Harris did everybody a great service by putting that out uh, because people who are voting today should be thinking about if they want to live in a country that's moving rapidly towards socialism. Um, And that's not what this country is built on. And go to Venezuela, go to other socialist places around the world and see if that's where you really want to live. Right. Right. Now, I read your book and I'm up against it. People are yelling at me. You know that deal. You were a talk show host, too. You you do this. Uh, But I just know in your book, I think you lost your first election. You end up being governor of the state. You ran for president. It almost happened. It didn't. But it doesn't mean you're not going to run again. The opportunity to be successful is all we want. If you guarantee the outcome, you took the fun out of it. That's exactly right. And by the way, um, who's making those decisions? I don't want government making those decisions for me. I want the marketplace of ideas and and effort, the effort that people put in. One of the things I've been most impressed with, and I know you're running up against it, but is the president's effort in the last week. 
I mean, no one, I've not seen anyone work harder as a candidate than the president did to go out there and to tell his story to the American people. And you know what the American people, Mm -hmm. they not only like great ideas, they love people of great effort and great will. And the president has shown that, and that's why he got my vote. Um, And that's why I'm really hoping that tonight he'll get America's endorsement for another four years. There'll be one guy in ABC smiling if he does. And yeah, the unicorn. Chris <laughs> <laughs> the unicorn. Governor, Brian. thanks so much. You got it. Hey, I appreciate Brian, thank it. Thank you. Great job today with the president, by the way. Very well done. I watched the well, whole thing. Thank you very much, sir. Appreciate it. You and got of course, it. everyone Take at WABC care. will watch uh, the governor on ABC TV. Uh, thanks so much. We'll be right back with your calls. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Oh, it's on. Election Day 2020 from Liberty State Park. It's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Now is your chance to vote against Donald Trump, a man who believes his fame gives him the right to grab one of your daughters or sisters or mothers or wives by any part of their bodies. Right. Lady Gaga with a great politically correct message. And isn't that great to support Joe Biden and knowing she's saying that for you? Hey, thanks, Lady Gaga, who hates fracking. And I'm trying to give it to everyone that I'm not going to get rid of fracking. And even though you want me to, and I'm mocking people in Pennsylvania who have pickup trucks and drink beer, which is called everybody. Uh, all right. Uh, John, listen on WTRC, Elkhart. John. Good afternoon. Good morning. Love your show. What's on, what's yeah, on your I mind, got a question real Thank qu- you. Okay, I'm here. Are you here? Okay. I just wanted to know how the House and Senate's going to look like after tonight and if any part of the squad could go down tonight. I don't think so. I don't think any of them are that much in danger, to be honest. They have a lot of money pouring in there from the fringes of their party. But the House is supposed to, uh, to go further into Democratic hands, but not much further. It's up to Kevin McCarthy if he ever wants to be speaker to limit the damage, or else Liz Cheney's going to step right in there, or Steve Scalise. So uh, I don't think they did a good job really uh, raising money, creating awareness and an urgency. Uh, but they do know a few seats in California that's going to go their way, and I know one in Utah that looks like going to go their way, and certainly uh, I think Sean Parnell's in a good spot over in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, back with Ken Cuccinelli and you in just a moment. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. How do you feel about how we got to this point where if you were reelected, there could be rioting and looting. Well, I tell you, I think it's very sad. And part of the reason is it'll all be in Democrat cities, Democrat-run cities. It's going to be in Chicago, New York, and Portland, and Oakland, and, you know, different places, Baltimore. And that's because of weak leadership and weak, weak leadership. 
And, you know, my side is a very strong side if they wanted to, but they don't like doing that. You know, they're proud of our country. They don't want to hurt our country. But the other side is radicalized Antifa. Uh, That's the President of the United States on Fox and Friends this morning. I want to bring in Ken Cuccinelli now because, uh, Ken, from Baltimore to Portland to Seattle to Chicago to New York uh, to Los Angeles to Riverside, California, all reports of planned so-called spontaneous riots that could be taking place across the country. Uh, You, as the acting deputy director of the Department of Homeland Security, how worried are you? Well, certainly, you know, it's one of these – I'm in a job – where I'm paid to worry, right? So <laughs> I worry about it. And yeah. as you noted, Portland, we've been engaged in this in different parts of the country uh, for months now. And I agree with everything the president said, not surprisingly, but he's made it very clear to us. He's made it very clear to the American people. He's determined to make every federal resource available to maintain peace, um, regardless of whose community it is. I mean, he certainly noted these liberal cities is where you're most likely to see these problems. And it's because they're liberal cities. Um, That doesn't change the fact that he has repeatedly said, but I want them safe, too. And uh, we're at the disposal of local and state officials. But let's not kid ourselves. They are first in line. It is their job first. We're the backup. Um, And that has to happen in partnership. Where it doesn't happen in partnership, like Portland, it doesn't work very effectively. But, Ken, here's the thing. Are they are you sharing intelligence with them? Because a lot of these aren't people angry in their neighborhood or are they going to take it out on the people on their block. They're coming from outside. They're organized and financed from somebody who's behind this. We do. We definitely do share intelligence and they share with us. We learn a lot uh, from state and local authorities through the fusion centers that we uh, we've set up and, and help sponsor as part of the birth and, and growth of the Department of Homeland Security all across the country. The FBI is involved in this with the Department of Justice as well. We're linked up with them. So it's a very close-knit communication uh, going on. We're, we're very prepared, uh, but that doesn't mean it'll necessarily stop people from acting out. And uh, But like I said, we are prepared. You've seen us act before. Um, and this president is very determined that everything within his legal jurisdiction is going to be available to keep violence down. And we're we're uh, we're ready to step in and do that at the Department of Homeland Security. Are you working with the FBI? Yes, absolutely. We're linked up. We're running 24 seven operations with them. Um, and uh, we are across the department and then within departments, particularly DHS and DOJ. Absolutely linked up, arm in arm, and we've been doing planning with them for weeks. So what they want to do, people who like to see America down, is create uncertainty on Election Day, create uncertainty for weeks after the election. You really could go to the foundation of democracy if we don't know who our leaders are or or we don't believe that they are our leaders who win an election. And outside forces like Russia, like China, and Iran – are people, and I'm sure Venezuela, if they had the, the wherewithal and the means, would be out there to do that. We remember Michael Moore famously said, you know, I was out there protesting against Trump after the election saying he got it fraudulently, and it was Russian bots that put him out there. They organized the event in which Michael Moore was at, and plenty more, uh, and even others. I'm reading Peter Strzok's book, and he did not even think that the Russians would even have an organization, sponsored or not, 
that would be interested in using Facebook against us in our election process. I'm shocked by that. Well, so uh, well, what, what can you tell us about the cyber threats? So that is where the federal government has first responsibility. The state, the Constitution gives the states the authority to run the elections. It's, it's explicit. Um, and that'll happen all over the country today. And we have worked with all 50 states now. And, and that alone is unprecedented, by the way, under this president's leadership, to have that kind of partnership on a bipartisan basis to pr- protect the election as best we can. And the cyberspace is where we have first responsibility. We're facing off with Iran. You saw the news not too long ago, a week or so ago, uh, dealing with that. And Russia and China are also threats. But not a single one of them has touched an American vote. And as the president has emphasized, Americans are going to decide America's election. And uh, that's where we are right now. We're halfway through Election Day here. And we already uh, we at this point, we can say we haven't seen a single effect on a vote. Now, some of the things you're talking about, Brian, are where they try to basically turn us on one another. Right. They try to make us mad. They shake or try to shake our confidence in our system, our government system. They try to sow discord um, in how they do reporting, what they do on Facebook. Uh, so they are they are active in that. But that's influence. The only way that works is if Americans bite on it, if people like Michael Moore bite on it. And we need to you and me and all the people listening to your show need to not bite on that. Um, and uh, we need we need to stay cool, calm and collected and uh, realize that however we may be voting together, all the Americans are in this together. I would hope so, because there's so much at stake people don't trust. I bring it to Jennifer O'Malley Dillon. She's uh, Joe Biden's campaign manager. Tell me this isn't detrimental. Keep in mind, it's Hillary Clinton that says whatever Joe Biden should do, don't ever concede. Cut 14. Just because Donald Trump says something on election night or suggests he might be winning, uh, that is not going to be based in fact. There is no way he will be outright winning on election night. And so I think it's on all of our behalfs to really um, be clear and make sure that the American people do get a filter for that information because it won't be accurate. Under no scenario will Donald Trump uh, be declared a a victor on election night. And we think that that's really fundamental to how we want to approach tomorrow. Really? Well, that, so under a, no scenario little, will the sitting president declare a winner? Yeah, that, that's a little bit silly. I mean, four years ago, had they been doing the job the way they normally do it, he would have been declared before midnight. Um, but they refused to accept the information in front of him. Now, I will say this. Um, the way anyone will be decided tonight will have to be a landslide um, because we're counting more slowly and people should know that. Um, for two reasons. One, because of the security features that are in, that are involved in more paper balloting, and there's a lot more paper balloting going on, and that's a good thing. We're trading speed for security. We're getting more security, but we're losing some speed. And when you combine that with having less election officials to do the work because of COVID, um, many of the people who serve as election officials in the past are over 70. And they are in the target zone, right, for high-risk COVID yeah. participants. I was in Tennessee not too long ago. Their average their average worker this year is 10 years younger, but they have less of them. So we have more work to do and less people to do it. So we're, we're more secure, but it will take longer to count the votes. So if it's, uh, you know, to, to declare a winner tonight would take one side or the other being way ahead. And obviously you played a clip. 
that isn't true because that is entirely possible tonight. Um, however, if you were to if you were to be a betting man, you'd you'd, you'd wait. You'd probably bet on tomorrow to know, <laughs> not tonight. No, I hear you. And, and Nancy Pelosi is not helping things either. Cut 16. This president, of all the presidents I've seen and studied in American history, is the most insecure. He knows he can't win uh, by letting the people speak their voices. So he's trying to, to uh, disrupt uh, the election. We are concerned about foreign powers coming in and undermining the integrity of our elections. He is undermining the integrity of our election. Well, look, I'm sure you'd like to take that on. One of the most partisan people in the history of the world. Um, You know, so none of that comes through credibly. Uh, You know, the president uh, won four years ago uh, with the American people speaking. And, you know, Nancy Pelosi there in that clip is saying he doesn't want that to happen again. Well, I've been listening pretty closely. I think that's exactly what he wants to happen. Um, and, uh, and, and that, that's just me, Ken, an American here. Uh, you know, as we look at this from an election security standpoint, we've been more aggressive, more transparent, by the way, also than four years ago, four years ago, they didn't share information with the States. Uh, now we share it as quickly as we can now, unlike four years ago in every single state, again, regardless of whether it's Republican or Democrat secretary of state, they have clearances so they can have access to some of our intel. Um, they can't share it publicly, but what we know, they know that did not happen under the Obama administration. It did not happen. If something like the Iran email situation from a week ago happened four years ago, they weren't talking about what they knew. We we knew in 27 hours and shared it in 27 hours publicly what had happened. That kind of transparency is a hallmark of President Trump's administration and how we deal with election security. Ken, about 400 miles of wall. I know you've been to the border a lot, did a lot of work down there. Uh, I was there for the caravans that came in. I saw the overwhelming. You couldn't put up tents fast enough for the for the refugees or the illegal immigrants coming across the border, many of which were coming here for a better life. They weren't up to no good, but we just could not house them. And that crisis has passed for now, and the 400 miles of wall is up. What should people know about what's happening on our southern border? So I was down there yesterday in Arizona in the Tucson sector, and, you know, you mentioned caravans. So let me tell you some of the news that doesn't exist. There were two caravans in the last few weeks, and you didn't hear anything about them. And you know why? It isn't, it isn't because of the usual mainstream media bias. It's because they were stopped cold before they even got out of southern Mexico. We're literally talking about thousands of people. But the relationships President Trump has forged with Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador – Um, bore fruit in the last few weeks in seeing Honduras, Guatemala, and Mexico literally dismantle those caravans that in previous years had marched right on up to our border and caused us exactly the kind of problems you described, Brian. So the president obviously led the way on the whole wall system, was down there to see that. Yesterday, it's quite an engineering feat, but there's more to it. His diplomacy has played an enormous role as well. I mean, this is a guy who's proven very good at it. No one else in history has gotten three Mideast peace agreements, right? No president has ever achieved this kind of immigration cooperation in the Western Hemisphere. 
They and, and we really have much more fruitful relationships with these friends in the Western Hemisphere now because this president got them to cooperate to fight illegal immigration. It's a tremendous achievement. Have you restored their aid? Uh, a lot of it has gone back, yes. And we also have sent uh, advisors down to help them develop their equivalent of Border Patrol and ICE. And those are the people who were interdicting that caravan. And they were rescuing children. We helped teach them how to do that better. Um, and we've also worked, uh, worked to help them set up their own asylum systems, which they've agreed to take people from the United States who come to our border from their neighboring countries uh, to uh, to let them seek asylum in their country instead of just using the United States. Um, and that's part of our effort to not only clean up that system under this president's right. leadership, but to also deter people from trying to gain our system. And this president has had tremendous success in that area. We have a lot more work to do. And if you undid all this, you'd, you'd see a pretty quick invasion. But we have been on an excellent, excellent path of success for four years now. Well, very interesting. Ken, if, if Ken, if the last question, real quick, if the president gets four more years, do you want to be a part of it? Uh, well, it's been an honor to be here up through this, and uh, who doesn't love winning, right? He told us we'd get sick of winning. <laughs> I'm not sick of winning yet. I don't know about you. And uh, we have a lot more winning to do at DHS, so I'd love to help him do it. Ken Cuccinelli, Acting Deputy Director of the Department of Homeland Security. Thanks, Ken. Appreciate it. See you, Brian. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. From uh, Dayton, Dayton to South Bend to New Mexico, we'll get to all of you when we return. From Liberty State Park, it's Election Day, twenty twenty, with Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. First of all, we're going to know the winner of this election by 10 o'clock tomorrow night. What people are doing is just unnecessarily scaring people and making them unnecessarily nervous. North Carolina, which is a state if he loses, I don't have to wait on Pennsylvania to lose North Carolina. He's going to lose. I am not the least bit concerned about the outcome tomorrow night, and I'm not the least bit concerned that we're going to have to wait weeks or months to find out what the result is. We're going to know, and we're going to know pretty early. James Carville, we'll find out. And I agree. I think if we're going to get the first trend to see how what a dogfighter will be about Florida. And we're really starting to see, even though they won't admit to it in the polls and they don't average out with the president on top, I think the momentum is the president on top. In terms of how this thing will be reported, here's Steve Kornacki of MSNBC going through the rundown. Cut 28. 7 p.m., most of Florida, not the panhandle, but the rest of Florida. We're going to start getting election returns from there. You got Florida. You got North Carolina at 730. North Carolina, a lot like Florida. Tons of early vote. State that's used to counting, processing, and reporting out quickly early vote. I think we can get a lot of results uh, from uh, North Carolina as well. 7 o'clock is Georgia, although there may be some delays here in getting vote reported out in the core Democratic area. That might be a little bit later reporting. We'll see how that goes with uh, Georgia. Ohio, 730. Early voting state, mail voting, processing early. We could get a lot from Ohio and Texas. Kind of a lot of information earlier than I thought. Jacob, listen to WHIO. You heard Ohio in there, Jacob. Ohio was eight points for the president. Is this time is supposed to be closer? Are you buying that? Oh yeah, I believe that one thousand percent. This morning at the polls, when I went to vote, I had people in line, seventy years old, telling me this is the first time they've ever voted. And how are they voting? 
They tell you they're voting for Don- they're, do- they're voting for Donald Trump. Um, they think this country needs it, and uh, they believe that the only solution to everything that's been going on is to leave him in office. And I believe the fracking's very much in jeopardy, and that matters to you guys in Ohio. Uh, Brian, listen on WABC in New Jersey, where we are over at Liberty State Park. Hey, Brian. Hey, Brian. How you doing? Good. What's um, on your I mind today? To to, I wanted to speak to the the, the sentiment that. Um, uh, that the opposition to Donald Trump is like inorganic, like it's something that the media created. Uh, when, you, if you think about it, uh, the Republicans have only won two elections in the last 32 years by popular vote, national elections. You have sen- 70 senators representing 30 percent of the people, and Donald Trump hasn't enjoyed one day of majority support uh, approval uh, by the public. So, you know, why would the why would his op- the opposition to him be inorganic? The I would say not the numbers. The level and the pervasive nature. I mean, is it really because you didn't vote for someone? Did they really not do anything right for four years? Do you really hate everything they've done for four years? You So from the impeachment, okay, I didn't vote for him. But is he impeached off a phone call? A Mueller report. When you look back at that, was it worth two years of our lives as a country? Uh, the disdain level, I think, is the key. But good point, you know, when you talk about the popular vote. But when you talk about the popular vote, you're just talking about the West Coast. The West Coast has gone extremely left. There is no Republican Party there. That's the issue. And they Republicans got to fix that for the good of the country. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Hopefully next time we speak, there'll be a president of the United States, a new one, or the same one. But at least we'll have one. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.